This is your Commander-in-Chief. I am issuing a warning. The following podcast contains adult content and intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Enjoy. If you're listening to this, it's too late. You're in the bro zone with DJ Shrope. So okay, Damon. So welcome to the to the bro zone. I appreciate you know you taking some some time with me to to talk about your your adventures at Comic Con, um, and you know so for for those who have never been to Comic Con who are only familiar with it um, through what they've seen on social media or TV or whatever, uh, set the scene. What is what is Comic Con? What is the experience of of that place? Well, it's good that you say experience because I always tell people Comic-Con is not an event. It is an experience. Uh, in every in every sense of the word, you know, the sensory, it's 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 something that's, you know, kind of um, it's something that I tell everyone they should go to at least once in their lifetimes if you're any kind of fan of pop culture uh, because Comic-Con has branched out so far beyond comic books. And there are still comic books there. That's the one misconception a lot of comic book fans have about Comic-Con is that somehow comic books have been eliminated. But it's still the basis of the entire convention. But the cool thing about Comic-Con is it stretches in so many other avenues. I mean, uh, you know, we're talking about, you know, it's a lot of TV shows, movies, premieres, um, you know, just seeing stars, you know, closer than you would probably ever see them before. Big announcements. You know, you know, we live in a social media age where, you know, chances are there were people on Twitter that knew some of the information from Comic-Con quicker than I did. And I was there, uh, but that's, but it's the experience of being there. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's basically, you know, there's, there's a, there's a lot of different parts of Comic-Con, you know, there's the convention itself, which is inside the San Diego convention center, which is just a, a sprawling floor of, displays and things to buy and, you know, autograph signings and, uh, you know, just all kinds of giveaways. And just, it's, it's like I said, it's anything and everything pop culture you could ever imagine from, you know, a place where artists sit and draw pictures to toys being sold to, you know, giant uh, setups from, you know, Fox and Spike and HBO and all these different TV shows and, and, and movies and all these different things. And these giant display items of, you know, they have a giant screen of Star Wars and they have one of the speeders from Star Wars that you can take your picture with. I mean, there's that. And then outside of the main hall, there's all these different rooms where they hold programs where, you know, you can uh, see an interview with your favorite comic book writer or in the big ones, uh, which are usually in Hall H, which is the big, big hall where they, you know, show first trailers for the first time. They showed Suicide Squad trailer, a Batman versus Superman trailer. You know, they pack 7,000 people into this giant hall and you just get to watch these things and then see your stars. So it's a it's just a it, it's such a big experience. There's so much that's going on and the convention lasts five days. And at the end of every single convention that I've ever been at, and I've gone to five San Diego Comic Cons now, at the end on Sunday night, when it's the final day, it's the final hour, they're closing the doors, they're telling everyone you gotta go home, there's still something that I felt like I missed. And that to me is the true sign of somewhere to go because you know, at the end of a vacation, if you're thinking, man, I'm ready to go home, you know, I miss home, I miss, I miss home, or I miss, you know, I'm, I'm ready to go back, I did everything I wanted to do. There's not been a year I've been at Comic-Con where I've left and thought, man, I wish I hadn't done that as well. So, so, so tell me this. So you talk about the experiences, you talk about just the overload, I guess you could say, of, of pop culture, right? It's, it's more than just comic books. It's more than, um, than all of that. It's, it's really just a whole, it's a pop culture event. Now, when when you say you had a, a media pass, so you had, 
you know, some access that the, 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 the every man did not. Um, but yet, you know, I saw, especially on social media, you were saying, oh, camping out for, for such and such event, right? Right. So even having a pass, you still have to wait in line. And tell me about that. Like, how long did you have to wait in line? Like, was it, is it one of those, like, oh, I got to wait in line for three hours or <laughs> I'm just waiting in line to get in? Well, there's a couple of misconceptions with, with being, you know, media credentialed at, you know, Comic-Con because it's such a big event. They do credential a lot of media because they do want coverage in every platform. I mean, obviously they want the coverage from Entertainment Weekly because they're a huge, you know, massive, you know, Time Warner property and all these things. But they also want the coverage from the smaller blogs and the podcasts and, you know, maybe, you know, people that Entertainment Weekly is not talking to or doing the stories that aren't being covered. You know, they, they're worried about Batman versus Superman. They're not worried about... You know, maybe the the comic book writer who's putting out a you know 500 copies of his new issue of his book. So there's a a, a wide you know spectrum of media, but the big misconception about media Comic Con is that we get all this insane access. Now we do get extra access, you know, uh, but a lot of it is just based on coordination and based on you know basically applying with studios. I mean, um, you know, I was able to attend you know some panels that I just walked into because I had a pass. Uh, you know, things uh, for you know FX and Fox. But, you know, like Star Wars for Lucasfilm, you know, they're they're only going to give passes to a very select number of media. We're talking, you know, probably 10 to 15 people. And unfortunately, I was not on that short list. Uh, and the people that were on that short list are, you know, again, we're talking about the biggest of the biggest properties. So we're talking about, you know, Entertainment Weekly, Time Magazine, you know, those kind of things. So, uh, so yeah, I, I camped out. And when you're talking about camping out for something like the Star Wars panel, which took place on a Friday... Uh, we had a group of people that started, you know, kind of waiting in line on Thursday at about 6 a.m. for Friday's panel. So that we basically had people camping out for more than 24 hours to get into this panel for Star Wars or, you know, get into this. It's an entire day of panels. But to get into the panels that day, uh, you, we had to camp out for basically 24 hours straight to get in there. It's gotten worse, which I'm not a fan of. Uh, but that's kind of where we're at with Comic-Con. That If I have one big complaint about Comic-Con, that would be it, is that... You know, used to, you know, when you wanted to get in line for a panel, you know, camping out was kind of a fun extra. You, you'd sit out with your fellow Comic-Con geeks and you'd camp out for a night and you order pizza and you just kind of hang out. And, you know, you'd start camping at about 8 p.m., 7, 8 p.m. And then you, you know, basically sleep out overnight, you know, let's say 10 or 11 hours. And the next morning you'd get into the hall. It was it was actually fun. I, I did it a couple times and it was kind of fun. But now people have gotten so ridiculous about this that they're actually camping out for, you know, days at a time. Uh, from what I heard, there were people camping out on Tuesday to get into the uh, Hunger Games panel that was on Thursday. I mean, that's crazy to me to camp out for two days uh, to see a 45-minute panel. So that's something I hope Comic-Con fixes and, and kind of makes better in the future. But, yeah, that's what we had to do to get into that Star Wars panel is camp out for, a you know, total all total is about 28 hours. So if you're, if you're getting there two, three hours before the event, you're not getting in? No. Not for anything in that in that particular in that particular realm of Hall H, you know, if you're trying to get into the biggest panels on Friday or Saturday, which are the busiest days, no. If you're not there the day before, chances are you're not getting in. Okay, so if let's I, what what they need to do is they need to do look they need to say we're gonna have this many people that can come in, and we're gonna give this many tickets, and it's sold out, it's sold out, it's sold out, um, and and figure figure that out. I mean that's. That's not a good situation, right? When you have people camping out for several days in advance of a of a forty five minute panel, that's 
that's that I I think that takes away maybe it adds to the experience I think it for me at this point in my life I wouldn't do it I don't think I could could sit out there for more than maybe one night you know and and not be like oh fuck this you know I'm out of here Um, (laughs) you know and the funny thing is is I actually had that last year I actually had that same revelation because last year for the first time that I've ever been at comic-con you know for those that have never been to San Diego um, it's a perfect place. I, I say it all the time. It's, it's like heaven, you know, it's 75 degrees, uh, during the day, it gets down to maybe like 68 at night. Uh, it's never really humid. It's just, I mean, it's perfect weather. Uh, you know, it's just a gorgeous place. So you're thinking about a place that you want to go to and hang out outdoors. San Diego is the spot, but last year they had a really intense heat wave during Comic-Con. So instead of being 74, 75 degrees and sunny and beautiful, Last year at Comic-Con, it was about 87 every day with about 100% humidity. So it was miserable. I mean, being outside for five minutes was just miserable. And so last year, I got fed up. I said, I'm not camping out for anything. I'm not doing this. It's stupid. I'm not going to be sitting outside just sweating my ass off uh, to see a panel. And, and And I avoided it all. And then this year, I decided to do it again because I was able to kind of pal up with some friends and we were able to help each other out and, you know, get a group together. So no one actually had to camp out for an entire 28 hours straight. We had, you know, groups that would, you know, kind of coordinate, go back and forth. Uh, So it'd be like six or seven people at a time, uh, you know, kind of holding a place in line, that kind of thing. But if not for that, I don't think I would have done it again this year because there's so much you miss by just waiting in line uh, that it kind of takes away the joy of going to Comic-Con. That's what I was going to say. Like you're 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 missing out on a tremendous amount of stuff by by waiting in line. And then all of a sudden you've realized that, you know, 70 percent of the time that, you know, you've you've invested in waiting in line, you've missed all these other experiences that don't you don't have to wait in line for, right? I mean, is that true? I mean, do you feel like if you didn't wait in line for, you know, I'm, I'm talking about you, but just saying someone who's experienced this and says, okay, I'm waiting in line for all, for all these panels, they've never got to enjoy what Comic-Con really can be or what is because they're just worried about these um, Q&As. Yeah, that's the that's the part that concerns me. And I brought this up to some people this year. I said, if I'm Comic-Con, you know, and, and part of this experience is people spending money. I mean, San Diego gets a huge influx of money of, you know, 200,000 people staying in the hotels and spending money on food and, you know, buying things. It's a it's a huge, huge, you know, boon for the city. It seems kind of crazy to me that you would basically say, you know, 6,500 to 7,000 people are going to be missing out on that for days at a time because they want to see these panels. Um, You know, I think that something has to be done, whether it's, you know, you no longer allow people to camp out and you have some sort of lottery system or, you know, maybe you allow people to camp out, but, you know, make it a, 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 you know, make it a point to say you cannot camp out until, you know, nine o'clock the night before. Uh, As I said, camping out the first year I did, it was kind of fun. I mean, we went out at like, you know, like I said, like eight o'clock and we camped out overnight. We got some pizza and, you know, yeah, we were a little tired the next day, but it was a lot of fun to, you know, kind of make new friends. Uh, But You know, some of the, you know, the the exacerbating circumstances that are going on now are just crazy. So they have to fix it because, you know, listen, these people are patrons. You know, they're missing out on all the money they could be making from these people not, you know, actually, you know, being. I mean, there was one girl I know who basically camped out from Thursday through Sunday. I mean, she camped out Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, and then going into Sunday. I don't even know that she I think she went into the convention floor like one time. 
because she wanted to see all these different panels. And listen, I get it. I mean, this year was a big year for panels because Star Wars was there for the first time in over a decade. Uh, you know, they were revealing new footage for Batman and Superman. Quentin Tarantino was there. So there's a lot of cool things to see. And trust me, I was part of that. But yeah, I think Comic-Con has to fix it because it's becoming such a nightmare that it's taking away part of the fun of being at Comic-Con. So, okay, so I, I'm, I'm new to Comic-Con. I'm going to go next year. And I don't want to deal with panels. I'm a guy who doesn't want to deal with panels, and I just want to go. Is there enough there to enjoy? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, the the one of the the first year I went, I was kind of unaware of the panel process, like how you had to wait in line. So you're gonna have to sit on your butt for a little bit. Yes, you're gonna stand in lines at some point. If you want to do anything at Comic Con, you're probably gonna have to stand in a line, but. Obviously, not every line is going to require eight or ten hours of commitment. Uh, but, you know, they have things like if you're a fan of The Walking Dead, they always have some kind of model set up that you can take a picture and, you know, kind of experience The Walking Dead. They have, uh, you know, they have, uh, you know, setups for the biggest movies that are coming there that year. Like I said, this year they had a, a, a prop from the new Star Wars movie where you could actually, you know, stand in line and get a picture with the new speeder that's going to be in Star Wars. Um, there's so much to shop, and then there's so much outside of Comic-Con. I mean, this year FX had a giant um, playground, I guess is the best way to say it, of like, you know, basically all these different things you could do. I mean, they had the American Horror Story Hotel, which was kind of like a haunted house that you could walk through. Uh, they had a big snow globe, which was kind of cool set up for Fargo, where you could step inside and it was like cold air, and they'd flow you around with that kind of fun stuff like that. There's a Game of Thrones experience across the street uh, from Comic-Con where you can actually sit in the Iron Throne and you can do all these kind of things. So there's no shortage of things to do, see, or buy at Comic-Con over the over the course of four or five days. Okay, so you would say if you didn't go to panels, you'd still get a pretty full experience. Absolutely. I mean, like I said, I didn't go... I think last year for Comic-Con, I only went to one or two panels total. And again, that was you know ones that I really chose to go to. And I, you know, there was still so much to do. I mean, there was still at the end of the day, at the end of the week, I was still thinking, man, I wish I'd had time to do this or I wish I'd had time to do this. So even if you don't go to a single panel, there's always going to be something to do, see, sign. You know, there's always going to be something going on. All right, cool, cool. So you heard it here first. You can still go to Comic-Con and have a have an enjoyable experience and not have to deal with the um, eight hour plus lines. (laughs) <laughs> um, so, so talking about that, you talked about Star Wars, Batman versus Superman. Um, you know, Fox brought in a, I mean, a huge slate of Marvel. I mean, they have X Men, Fantastic Four, Deadpool, uh, Wolverine three, um, and then you have on top of that, you have you know, other movies like The Hunger Games. I mean, who do you think of of those movies, or maybe one I didn't list, of who actually? had the biggest impression upon you and and the fans at Comic-Con? I would say it's I would say it's it's a two two part answer. I would say the biggest impact on me personally and the fans that were there that day was definitely Star Wars. Um, and it's not even because they showed new footage because they didn't. That was the only thing missing from that being maybe the the greatest panel in history uh, was they didn't show new footage. But what they did do at the Star Wars panel was they brought out the entire new cast, and then for the first time that I can remember has happened in you know 30 years was they brought out Mark Hamill, Harrison Ford, and Carrie Fisher. I mean, Harrison Ford hadn't been seen in public since his uh, since his uh, uh, flying accident. So you know, seeing the three of them together as a kid who grew up on Star Wars 
was just amazing. I mean, there was nothing like it. Uh, and then after the Star Wars panel is over, J.J. Abrams gets up and says, um, you know, one thing we haven't talked about with the, that's iconic with Star Wars is the music. And we assume everyone here loves the Star Wars music. And everyone, of course, roared and said yes. And he said, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to give you guys all passes. We're going to go out here by the bay and we're going to put on a Star Wars concert. And so 6,500 fans from Hall H got these little passes and we all shuffled over to the bay and they actually had the San Diego Symphony Orchestra uh, there to play, uh, you know, basically like a five or six song Star Wars concert for all of us. And it was amazing. They gave us all lightsabers. And uh, I mean, if a Star Wars fan, it was a once in a lifetime experience. So being there, I would say that was number one. And I would say Batman versus Superman was a close second just because they showed the new, you know, three minute trailer. You know, they brought out the entire cast. Um, you know, that was their chance. DC and Warner Brothers had a chance to kind of steal the show because Marvel wasn't in the main booth this year, wasn't in the main hall this year. So they got a chance to kind of steal some of that thunder. And I thought they did a really good job with that and Suicide Squad. So, you know, those would probably be the two biggest moments was was that Batman versus Superman trailer. But I think for the fans in attendance, it had to be Star Wars because you know, the Warner Brothers released the Batman versus Superman trailer, I think like an hour after it debuted at Comic-Con. So those fans only got an hour of an exclusive, whereas me personally, like no one else that wasn't there is ever going to be able to talk about J.J. Abrams taking them to a Star Wars concert, you know, after a panel and actually right. being there when Harrison Ford, Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher were there. So, again, on a personal level, definitely Star Wars on a big on a bigger level. You know, it's still cool what Star Wars did. But but I would say Batman Superman is also right there. OK. And on the TV side, I mean, you had The Walking Dead, Fear the Walking Dead, Minority Report, Game of Thrones. You know, Ash versus Evil Dead, which I'm excited about. Um, who do you think um, gave the biggest impression in terms of on the TV side? You know, I mean, it's always hard to say because was there, know, maybe there wasn't a big splash on the TV side because the films always seem to overshadow everybody because they have the biggest budgets. Yeah, I mean, the films the films really do steal the show at Comic-Con. That's the thing. They really do because, you know, they debut trailers. They obviously bring out the stars. And, you know, as big as TV is today, and I actually think TV is doing better than film in terms of storytelling, but films are still where it's at in terms of, like, the big, you know, red carpet, you know, big moment feeling of, of, of that. It's still always going to fall in film with things like Star Wars and Batman, Superman, stuff like that. But... You know, The Walking Dead is probably still the big. I mean, it's the biggest show on TV. It's still the biggest show at Comic-Con. You know, seeing the cast come out and, and seeing the reaction they get and then you know, showing the first footage is always a big deal. So The Walking Dead is always, you know, huge. And then, you know, Game of Thrones, you know, it's weird with Game of Thrones. They don't, uh, you know, they never show footage. Uh, they never have any kind of teasers for the following season because Game of Thrones season ends in May and Comic-Con's in July. So the season's over and they haven't even started filming the new year yet. But it's just a chance to kind of see the stars and and just kind of see them all in one place because you know for those that don't know you know Game of Thrones is filmed over like three places between Ireland, Spain, and uh, Croatia. So a lot of these people don't even work together technically, even though they're on the same show. So kind of seeing them all back together is kind of a cool thing. So they're always the big ones with TV. But honestly, Comic Con is definitely a film show. It's 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 the time when the films get the the chance to shine and uh, and they usually do. They definitely do steal the show. All right. Uh, best freebie. 
Oh, best freebie, man. I'm trying to think what was what was given getting given away this year that was good. I mean, honestly, the best freebie, in my opinion, isn't even in Comic Con. It's always across the street at the Game of Thrones experience because they always have cool things to give away. You get a chance to you know sit on the Iron Throne, which is always cool. They have a full size Iron Throne. I mean, that to me is always a thrilling experience to get to sit on the Iron Throne, and then. Uh, like a couple of years ago when I went over there, they were giving away T-shirts. They would actually print your name on a Game of Thrones shirt that would say like, you know, House Martin or House, you know, whatever you could put on there. And so the Game of Thrones experience across the street, they give away all kinds of cool Game of Thrones stuff. And if you're a Game of Thrones fan, I would definitely say that's that's the coolest thing because it's it's actually an experience in and of itself. And you always get something cool out of it. What about um, the coolest? Um, I mean, so they, they sell a lot of stuff. You, you talked about shopping and, you know, buying Comic-Con exclusive gear. Um, what do you think the what was the coolest thing that you saw on the floor that if you had uh, a, a endless amount of money that you'd buy? Well, you know, they always I mean, there's always a ton of exclusives. I think, you know, one of the big ones that has turned into uh, a real feeding frenzy at Comic-Con is the Funko booth. You know, Funko <laughs> does those little, yeah. you know, those little, uh, they're not even action figures. They're just little, like, you know, non-moving bobbleheads, basically. Yeah. Uh, but they've become, you know, I collect them. I collect the Game of Thrones ones. So uh, they're big. And so that's always really cool. I mean, they had an exclusive Batman versus Superman pack this year that was really big. Uh, they were selling a, a set with Jaws, which was really cool. I actually had one with Jaws, uh, you know, eating the boat, which yeah, is one of their new sets. Yeah, they had the Conan O'Brien ones, too. Yeah, Conan O'Brien was was there this year, which is a big deal. So, you know, there's always something. I mean, I wouldn't say there's ever one item that, that goes hotter than anything else. I would say that probably the hottest place is always the Hasbro booth because Hasbro does the exclusive toys uh, with, you know, a ton of different options with that. I mean, they always sell something, you know, comic book related or, or movie related. Uh, you know, like last year was uh, the Infinity Gauntlet. Uh, which I ended up getting uh, was a big exclusive last year. So there's always some kind of toy or, or figure or something that's coming out that's exclusive like that. But again, that's the cool thing about Comic-Con is, is there's something for everybody. I mean, you know, the big item is never one thing because not everybody there watches one thing or does one thing. So there's always something a little different uh, that you could buy or, or, or be a part of at Comic-Con. Okay. Did you go to and I and I say this a little bit in jest, but I'm curious if you did, if you went to the uh, the Nerdist Carnival. I did not. Uh, I have a, a long-standing grudge <laughs> against Chris Hardwick, right? Uh, so I did not go to that. Uh, but I, you know, I, I've heard it's fun. I did go to Nerd HQ, which is uh, Zach Levi's, uh, you know, big uh, kind of outside Comic Con, you know, festival. I guess the best way to say it. And I always have a blast there. Nerd HQ is definitely a place I stop. Every single year, and it's always fun. Uh, but no, I did not make it to to, to the Nerdist thing. Uh, I know that they were doing it over at Petco, and it seemed like it was getting a good response. The people at Comic Con love Chris Hardwick. I'm not among them, but there are a lot of people who do. I, I don't under I I still don't understand his appeal. We talked about this on the last podcast you were on. I I don't understand his appeal. I hate him so much. <laughs> I don't like. I don't appreciate his comedy. You know, I was up and I'm like, you know what? There's a lot of people that like at midnight. Maybe I need to give it a chance. Maybe I'm not giving him a chance. And I tried and I tried and I hated him for it. Yeah, I, I had to I had to switch off. So I don't I don't blame you for um, for not going. Um, but how about how about this? I mean, I always think that there's got to be some brands, some networks, films, whatever they are that are out of place. Um, that just don't feel like they 
they're in the Comic-Con world because they feel they need to be um, for whatever reason. And, um, you know, did you see that? I, you know, one, one of the ones that I saw on, um, on, on Twitter was the Nat Geo. They had a nerd night party. And no. I'm like, why the heck is Nat Geo there? Right. <laughs> um, I just thought it was a bit out of place for that brand. Um, but if they're trying to introduce themselves to um, to a whole new genre or a whole new um, demographic, maybe this is the place to do it. Um, but what what are your thoughts? Were there any brands that just didn't feel natural there? Yeah, I mean, you know, there always there's always something. I mean, you know, there was a big backlash a few years ago when Twilight was still at Comic Con because you know Twilight is a vampire movie, but you know it was such a such a tween, you know, tween book and, you know, tween movie that a lot of Comic-Con fans were like, why is this here? I think there was some, maybe even a little similar sentiment to the Hunger Games, you know, being there the last couple of years. Because it's, yes, it's kind of science fiction, but it's very much, you know, kind of a young adult uh, book or young adult series and, and you know, that and Maze Runner and, and shows like that. Technically, they are science fiction, but there's just something weird about them that they don't quite fit into Comic-Con. But the thing about Comic-Con is, is that everything fits now, you know, and, and the people that complain otherwise are crazy. Like one of my, the highlights of my week was seeing footage from Quentin Tarantino's new movie, The Hateful Eight. Now, mm-hmm. how does Quentin Tarantino relate in any way, shape or form to Comic-Con and how does a Western uh, called the hateful eight relate in any way, shape or form to Comic-Con. It doesn't, it absolutely does not. But my Comic-Con would not have been complete had I not been there with Quentin Tarantino. I mean, it was just cool to see him and see all the stars of the movie. And they had a you know special recorded message from Samuel L. Jackson. And I mean, like I said, technically he doesn't fit at Comic-Con, but I'm glad he was there. So really there's nothing. I mean, I think the only thing that you would get a lot of backlash at Comic-Con is if they started doing sports. I think that's kind of a consensus at Comic-Con is they don't want to know about sports. They don't want to see like LeBron James have a dunk contest at Comic-Con. Outside of that, I don't think there's anything that is really out of bounds at this point with Comic-Con. You know, it's 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 funny you mentioned the Hateful Eight. I wanted to ask you about if you did get to see um, – did you go to that panel? So you did go I to did. the panel. I did. I did. And, you know, I was, I was thoroughly disappointed when that script got stolen and then he comes out and says, oh, you know, screw it. I'm not going to do this movie now. You know, I'm going to punish everybody because the script got leaked. And then he did this um, reading, um, this table read that I tried to get tickets for. I didn't, you know, obviously wasn't on the on the cool kid list um, <laughs> to get one. But, um, you know, and, and now it's back on. Someone backed up the money truck and said, you're crazy if you don't do this movie. Um, and now he's doing it. And so did they show, um, you know, what what did you get from the movie? What did you get from from him? Well, you know, it was really cool. I mean, I was uh, last year at Comic-Con, one of the only panels I attended was they were making an announcement about the Django Unchained Zorro crossover comic. And it was on, I believe Dynamite was the comic book label it went on, but Quentin Tarantino made an appearance. And so I was freaking out because Quentin Tarantino is probably my favorite director. Yeah. So this year with Hateful Eight, uh, you know, th- and th- the thing I liked about it was, is, you know, they, they gave a whole presentation about how they're going to roll out the Hateful Eight in December. They're doing the 70 millimeter screenings, which really aren't done anymore. Uh, but they talked about why that's special and how they used cameras that you were used to film Ben-Hur to actually film the Hateful Eight. You know, it was, it was kind of like a history lesson of how they made the movie. And then, of course, they showed us a seven minute trailer uh, or seven minute, I wouldn't know if I call it a trailer, seven minute collage of scenes that Quentin said he cut specifically for Comic-Con. And the best part about it was, and this is one of the things that Comic-Con has kind of 
lost over the years is the exclusiveness. You know, when you go to Comic-Con, you kind of feel like, you know, you have a little bit of a cool factor over your friends. Like, I was there, and, uh, you know, I saw something you didn't get to see. Uh, now, because of, uh, you know, because of the way the Internet works and people are filming things with their phones and other things, you know, these, these studios have been forced to release things early. Like I said, the Batman Superman trailer was online, I think, within, like, 30 minutes yeah. of the panel, uh, that Tarantino footage is still not out there. Like he still has never released it because he said it's exclusive for Comic-Con. I thought that was really cool. So the hateful eight was great. Uh, you know, Quentin answering questions from fans and, you know, he made the big announcement about, uh, you know, Ennio Morricone is going to do the score, which is a huge deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, the guy who wrote, you know, the good, the bad and the ugly score, he's going to do a score for the hateful eight. Um, you know, so it was just really cool. And like I said, Tarantino knows how to play a room and he does it very, very well. Yeah, you know, that's the one thing I've been disappointed with is, you know, I haven't been able to see any of any of this footage and I wish he would just give give everybody a taste. I mean, that's one of the things that I think Comic-Con can 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 do better is I I, I get the exclusivity and I get, you know, being a part of a part of that experience and and you know, maybe it's an embargo situation, but you know, I think that it causes more of a stir when it's okay, it's exclusive here. And then we're going to re-release it or we're going to release it to the public in 30 minutes, right? And then you have the rest of the world, the rest of the world that can't make it to San Diego during this time waiting, you know, with bated breath to see a, a trailer. And you can have that second life, that second experience. I just wish they would stream and um, play back a lot of this stuff for the public later. Um, and I think it almost makes it even more exciting because now it's like, oh, I just saw this footage, you know, from Comic-Con online or on TV. You know, I need to get there next year. You know, yeah. I don't think it's going to prevent people from showing up. Um, you know, I think that's always been, you know, an argument um, for even live sports. It's, you know, we can't stream it and we can't do this because it takes away from ticket sales. Right. I mean, back in the day when radio was getting popular, baseball games did not want to be um, aired on on radio because they felt that it would take away from ticket sales. Well, lo and behold, it actually helped ticket sales. It helped promote their sport. And that's why baseball is the sport that it is today because of radio. Um, I just wish that that Comic-Con would, would do a little bit more. I'm not saying you got to, you know, air every single second of it. Um, you know, but look, I mean, there's still enough exclusivity at Comic-Con and the experience of being there. Like you said, that they can, they can share a little bit more of that with the, um, the general public that can't make it to San Diego. Yeah. I mean, there's Um, definitely, there's definitely a, you know, there's definitely a, uh, you know, like I said, it's part of, part of being at Comic-Con is the experience of being at Comic-Con, you know, being able to tell people you went there because even though, you know, 150 or 200,000 people go to Comic-Con every year. Uh, you know, that's still a small smattering of pain. I, I couldn't tell you how many people I told I was going to Comic-Con and every single one of them said, man, I wish I could go or man, I want to go. And there's a little bit of, you know, it's, it, like I said, it's it's like uh, I know it's probably sounds crazy for people to hear this, but because uh, it was only one event. But it's, you know, it, I equate it to when, you know, when I was growing up and, and I heard my parents, you know, talking to other people and they would say they went to Woodstock. You know, obviously it's a much bigger event because Woodstock was a one-time thing or at the time it was a one-time thing. But it was kind of like that cool factor of saying you've been there. I mean, it was just like I've been at Comic-Con five times and it's like, whoa, whoa, you know, that's kind of cool. So there's definitely kind of a, you know, still a a certain feeling that goes along with that. Yeah, and you're not, like I said, you're not going to take away from that 
by streaming and showing these things digitally. I mean, it's the way the world works now, you know, and, you know, there, there are some people that are never going to be able to go because of um, certain circumstances. And I don't think that they should be excluded from those. And I think that there's another opportunity there. Maybe there's a, there's another, you know, uh, revenue generating stream by doing that. You know, if someone said, Hey, I'll pay 50 bucks to to stream all of that content from comic-con i might pay xbox you know microsoft 50 bucks if they streamed everything you know what i mean um you know spike did a an hour-long series or session on on comic-con and they aired it on on spike you know like there's some there's some coolness to it that i think like i said that can be shared and i think they can make it you know bigger bigger than than it already is um another question i had for you and it's comic book related is um you know with with deadpool and ryan reynolds as the as the character do you think it's okay for a actor to play two major comic book characters yeah, it is because it doesn't bother you that he was the Green Lantern. No, well, I, I, listen. Or, <laughs> the, the Green Lantern me, bothers you, right? Yeah, like, the Green Lantern bothers me greatly, but not because uh, not not because of that. But no, uh, I mean no, because listen, if you're a good actor and you're and you're passionate about this, and the thing about Ryan Reynolds is, I mean, he is way into playing Deadpool. Uh, you know, Green Lantern was doomed from jumpstarting. Mean, it was a horrible movie, but it's no different than Ben Affleck, you know, being Daredevil and now playing Batman. I mean, listen, you know, could you branch out and find different actors? Yes, but at the same time, is that any different than any other? I mean, you know, is there a reason why, you know, we're seeing Chris Pratt, you know, be the it guy for every action comedy kind of movie going out right now because he's the it guy. That's just, people want to see him and people will pay to see Chris Pratt do those things. Um, that's kind of the point. So, you know, I don't have a problem with it. I mean, like I said, I, I know for a fact Ryan Reynolds is way into playing Deadpool. Uh, good for him. That's what I say. I, I'm glad about it, you know. So I say, you know, more power to him. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. I'm, I guess I'm on the other side of that. It's like I, I've already seen him as that character. And, okay, these two characters are never going to intertwine. Um, you know, they're never going to come together in something. So, you know, they're two, they're two parallel universes, right? Um, you know, but I guess to, to me, I'm just one of those purists that say, you know what, bring in another guy, bring in, um, look, can't bring in Chan Channing Tatum or, I mean, he's already, he's Gambit, right? Um, I mean, so, but you can bring in somebody that's unexpected. I mean, I think that would add to the cool. I, I, and I, I get it. You know what? He's kind of a perfect fit physically for, for Deadpool. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, it's kind of like channeling that inner character that he did when he was, um, um, blade on blade trilogy. Right. Which like, it, like, exactly. That's, yeah. that's the one that popped in my mind when he's this sarcastic asshole, uh, on, on the blade movie, you know, that's the one. And like I said, if you're an actor, I mean, I, I agree with you in theory. Like, you know, I'd like to see some different people get it because I think there's talent that's not being exploited. And I think Marvel has done a fantastic job of that. I mean, if you would have said 10 years ago Robert Downey Jr. was Iron Man, right. most people would have said, are you kidding me? This guy has been, you know, messed up on drugs and all these different things. And, you know, he's a lot of things. Iron Man is not one of them. Now, could you picture anybody else being Iron Man besides Robert Downey Jr.? So. Yeah. I, yeah. I like those creative casting choices. I love what Marvel has done because they have thought outside the box and they've kind of gotten away from the standard issue of, you know, like, you know, just going going for who you think you should go for. 
uh, you know, in casting, they've kind of had their own way. And guess what? Every single time it's been a home run. Yeah. I mean, Paul, uh, Paul Rudd, right? Yeah. I mean, Paul Rudd is Ant-Man. I mean, I would have never pictured Paul Rudd in, in, a, in a Marvel movie. I, I, ever. I mean, I would have never pictured him as, I mean, I don't know if we can call him a superhero. Uh, but, I mean, as a comic book hero, I would have never placed Paul Rudd there. And he no. did an awesome job. Absolutely did. Absolutely did. And that's the thing. Like I said, if you have good casting, and that's what I said, I love what Marvel's done with that. They've they've kind of reinvented what it means to, to be a star in a comic book movie. I mean, they're picking people that you would never imagine would be good at this, and they're great at it. So, you know, there is a benefit to that. And, but then again, like I said, Ryan Reynolds not only is passionate about playing Deadpool, but he does fit the kind of character that Deadpool is. So, you know, can I really be that mad that he's the guy? No, uh, I'm more mad that somebody cast him as Green Lantern. Uh, <laughs> maybe that should have been the one that he should have avoided. But, uh, you know, like I said, it is what it is. I mean, you know, occasionally you're going to have those kind of things happen. And uh, as long as the casting is right, like I said, I don't really have a problem. With, you know, Ben Affleck playing Batman, you know, they had to go in a different direction than Christian Bale. They couldn't get just a Christian Bale impersonator. They had to get a guy who was a little older you know, could play the, you know, have the gravitas and also, you know, could look like he could go toe to toe with Henry Cavill, who's a big dude. You know, Henry Cavill's like six four and obviously, you know, we know he's Superman, but just in terms of physical presence, and Ben Affleck is six foot four. He's a big guy. So, you know, and there's only so even, you know, even in, in Hollywood, there's only so many big tall actors. You know, most guys look more like Tom Cruise or like five five. Right. Um, you know, you can't put Tom Cruise against freaking Henry Cavill. It would look like, you know, a, a father and son. So <laughs> You know, like I said, as long as the casting's right and it works out, I don't care. You know, we can critique, we, we can absolutely critique it if it comes out and it sucks. But if it turns out to be great, you know, I'm all for it. As long as it works out and we're happy with the product, I got no problem with it. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I'm I'm always the biggest fan of dark, sarcastic superheroes, comic book heroes, whatever you want to call them. I mean, you know, they need to they need another Punisher. Um, you know, and like I said, dead like dead Deadpool seems to be like it seems to feel have that feel to it. You know that yeah. you know guy going out for um, vengeance, um, et cetera, et cetera. So I mean, I'm I'm look, I I love Ryan Reynolds. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm just saying, like, you know, maybe maybe there's there's more room at the table for for other guys to just give my mind. I think it's more of my giving my mind the variety of of seeing other guys in, in these roles. And look, I mean, I guess if fantastic four can have a reboot, maybe green lantern can too. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's it, like I said, it's, 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 it's kind of, kind of funny. Um, fantastic four. I can't wait for, and I hated every single fantastic four, but knowing that this is a reboot and it's new characters and it's not cheesy and you know, they're, they're doing something completely different. Maybe they can do that with green lantern. I don't know. One day. Right. I mean, they attempted to do it with um, with Daredevil, you know, on the net with the Netflix series, and and they've, and they've done a great that that series was phenomenal, and mm -hmm. now you can't you can't even think about Ben Affleck being Daredevil, you know, like no. you know, like you don't even think about that awful awful movie, <laughs> you just think about the new version with. I mean, freaking Vincent D'Onofrio as as Kingpin was so good, you know. So, I mean, that's the key. Like I said, and you know, I was very skeptical about the Fantastic Four, but now that I've seen a few trailers, I'm kind of like, man, I, I kind of want to see this movie now because the first ones were so cheesy and yeah. so bad. 
Uh, you know, but like I said, that's the, that, you know, and that's the thing. It's just like, you know, 20, 30 years ago, you know, when Michael Keaton was Batman, no one thought he could play Batman. He was going to be terrible. He was, you know, he's not a, he's a comedic actor. How's he going to play Batman? And then, you know, when they replaced him with Val Kilmer and George Clooney, you're like, how could you do that? Michael Keaton was Batman. He was amazing. And then, you know, late years later, Christian Bale, oh, Christian Bale, how's he going to play Batman? He's terrible. He's not a Batman. And then, you know, years later, Christian Bale's the, the definitive Batman. He's the best Batman ever. So, you know, we're, we're very prisoner of the moment when it comes to these movies. Like I said, no no one character, no one actor ever defines a role. And uh, I guess that goes the other way around also, that no one actor, you know, should define, you know, his his acting career shouldn't be defined by by one comic book, I guess. Yeah, for, for, for sure. I, 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 I'll, I'll, I'll give it to you there. So, so anyway... Um, so that that's that's that man. I appreciate you coming on. Um, where can people find you? Uh, follow me on Twitter at Damon Martin. I obviously tweet far far too much for my own good, but uh, follow mm-hmm. me on Twitter there. And uh, yeah, just uh, you know, if you get a chance, check out my website nerdcoremovement.com. Uh, still getting up a ton of Comic Con related information over the next few weeks. So uh, stay tuned. I've been on the road uh, pretty much nonstop for two weeks now, so I'm still getting uh, some of that stuff up. But you know, keep an eye on the website. Tons of interviews. Um, had a chance to talk to Brian Cranston, uh, which was one of my favorite moments of Comic-Con was getting to interview Brian Cranston. Um, so yeah, check out nerdcoremovement.com and follow me on Twitter at Damon Martin. Awesome, man. Thanks Damon so much for coming on and we'll talk to you soon. Awesome. All right. All right. Well, that's your show. That's my show, your show, our show. Uh, let me know what you think. Have any questions, feelings, thoughts. Let me know. Hashtag Brozone. I'm out. Thank you for listening to The Bro Zone, a Ron Platt Fox Run production. Like the show on Facebook and follow DJ Shrope on Twitter at DJ Shrope.